Hi, everyone. I'm Crystal, and I host the podcast Alternative Interests with my best friend, Elle. We're Washington natives that love true crime, the supernatural, and all things weird, dark, and spooky. Join us every week as we take turns sharing our own twists on the garbage humans that commit crimes or a paranormal story that we have been obsessing over. Whatever topic we cover, this show is sure to capture all of your alternative interests. Check us out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello and welcome, agents and new listeners. If you wish to stay up to date with the latest episodes or any news you might have missed, please follow us on Twitter and Instagram or join our Facebook page. If you'd like to join in and start in some conversations with other agents, please, we have a Discord server available to everyone. We also have our episodes available on YouTube, so please consider subscribing and share with, our, with all your friends. Thank you for your time. Now let's get on to this week's case file. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Files Obscura. We have a, quite a fun case today. Um, we got tales of time travel, invisibility, and all kinds of just bewildering, you know, descriptions of, of just nonsense. And today we have with us uh, Cece. Hiya. And Nathan. Hello. So please forgive me. Uh, I'm not feeling the best. Uh, the past couple of days I've been a little under the weather. And uh, luckily my voice seems to be good enough to uh, record today. So we're going to try to make it through uh, through everything, but I'm not doing too good. I've been a little delirious. So I'm waiting for my medicine to kick in, which should be any second right now. So I apologize. But uh, enough about me. How's everyone doing today? Yeah, I'm not doing great either. I, I could be better. No, you know, I'm all right, I guess. All things considered. I feel like there's something going around because there's been a lot of people around me who's been getting sick today. So it's not just me. My coworker was, uh, she lost her voice the other day, like completely. It was funny because it happened right in the middle of work. Oh, no. Yeah, I mean, it was horrible. Don't get me wrong, but it was funny. <laughs> Good timing. Yeah. I wish it doesn't happen to me. It, because uh, it uh, would not be good. But like I said, we have a very fun story today. We have the Philadelphia experiments. Now, uh, I wanted a little bit of a shorter story, but I wanted something that would be just as fun as some of the other things that we've covered. So I had this one kind of saved for a little while that I wanted to talk about. I think I've had this one since like episode four or five, whenever we were covering the pandemic. Um, so you guys uh, ever heard anything about the Philadelphia Experiment? Have any idea what it might be about? No, not me. Nope. I mean, I think I've like heard it before because it sounds familiar, but my brain's just going, yeah, you don't know. <laughs> well, today you're going to find out. Hell yeah. <laughs> so as always on here, it's tradition that we go through a little game of two truths and a lie. You guys ready? Yeah. I am determined to see if I can get this again. I want to keep my streak up. Yeah, you've been going on a good roll. Uh, Vlad would have joined you if you if you got the answer right uh, last week, but uh, again, Vlad's not here. He has to go to work, unfortunately. So that sucks. But let's get on with the episode. So our first statement is going to cover uh, a very notable figure uh, in this story. His name is Carl M. Allen. 
Now, Carl M. Allen is known as kind of the, like the father of the story. You know, all sources kind of lead back to him. Um, one of the things that he was noted for in the story was that he sent a book, uh, a, a certain special book that we'll get into later that covered part of his beliefs and everything about the story and the events and his role in it. But um, he sent a book to ONR, which is the Office of Naval Research, uh, filled with annotations that he uh, that he wrote in there in pink. Now, a little notable thing that he did about this uh, is that he wrote it in three different styles and made it look like it was a conversation between three different people. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't expect you guys to be a little stumped by that one. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's hard to, I mean, I, I personally find it hard to write different people's points of view, so if you can do it more part of him. Also, I'm sorry if you heard that motorbike that just passed by my window. <laughs> it's okay. But yeah, uh, his story is fascinating and absurd. But he's got nothing on this next guy that we're going to cover. His name is Al Bilek. He claims that he traveled through time into the future and saw the 20th century and saw a world governed by computers with no, like, with no government and stuff like that. And medicine could heal you with light and vibration and stuff. And it's just, it's crazy. If only. Right. But he also had other tales of, like, going to Mars and stuff like that. So... That'll be crazy. Yeah. Yeah, just a bit. (laughs) But then, of course, you know, digging into the story, I had to find out, you know, what actually happened. Because stories like this don't just come out of nowhere. There's got to be something, a misunderstanding or a misinterpretation. So I dug into the real events that uh, that is recorded uh, by the naval researchers that were there at the time, and I found out that the experiments, you know, had simply been testing a glow paint, you know, to act, to you, be used as like an active camo during the day, uh, whenever they're far enough away from other ships. So that way, it was as if they were an invisible sheen on, on the water. And the theory goes that that got misinterpreted to being made invisible completely. And so the story just kind of took off from there. Fair enough. Yeah. I mean, yeah. people always want mysticism and fantasy. I mean, it's pretty mundane. But at the same time, this was during World War II, which should be a... Oh, God, I'm so sorry. I'm just not feeling it right now. But I got to push through. You know, this was during uh, World War II. This, uh, this event took place in 1943, but there are disputed dates about when exactly it happened. So keep in mind, whenever you're, you know, 1943, you still got two more years before the war would be over. The Americans are trying to test everything that, that they can do to get ahead. But, I mean, they, it's nothing close to what we got now, so they got to test all kinds of things. Hell, they even tested a ship made out of wood pulp and ice. The things that they would... How would that flow? Believe it or not, there's a material called picrete, which is, a, which is made out of ice and wood pulp, a mixture of 14% wood pulp to water. And this had a uniquely buoyant property that made it sturdy. The problem is, of course, you got to keep the ship cold. It just was not seen as a viable sort uh, material because they were running. Yeah, no, I, I see why. Well, they were running out of steel as a, as an item to use in their warships and stuff. So they were trying to look for other materials to change to like swap out. But yeah, it was a real thing considered for a time. A little bonus fact right there for you. Huh. 
Yeah, it's called. You could work in the Arctic, I guess, if you tried hard enough. Yeah, it's called Pykrete. P y k r i t e, I believe. How to like spell it out for a sec? I have to look into that at some point. Yeah. To get back to the two truths and a lie, like I said, we have our three statements. We have Carl M. Allen and his uh, mysterious book that he sent to ONR. We have Al Bayek, Bi- uh, and his claims of traveling to the future through time to the 28th century. And then we have the impressively mundane reality that they were simply just testing glow paints. You have one, two, and three. Which ones are your lies? Hmm. I knew when I heard that this, this was going to be difficult to decide. Of course. Because Ooh, all of like... them sound like they could be true. Yeah, exactly. You know I'm good at that. Hmm. I still managed to get you out four times in a row. Yes, you did. <laughs> oh, man. Um, I will go with... Uh... Oh man, yeah, she made a good point. Yeah, they all they all seem pretty plausible in their own right. Yeah, exactly. And with the context of this being around uh, the end of the uh, World War II, I mean, it kind of brings in the outlandish. Anything's possible. Yeah. I mean, you have Nazis being a thing prevalent in media still to this day for a reason. Hitler and Nazis as a joke has been used online for you know decades now at this point. I'm going to stick with the third one as a lie. You think so? Yeah. Okay. Because I know that during the wars, the army have tested for stranger things. Yeah, but they also tested a lot of reasonable things. What was you, Nathan? Um, I'm going to go with my gut and just say the second one. I don't know. Something's telling me it's that one. Yeah? You don't think uh, Al Bailey uh, claimed to travel through time? Hmm. I don't know. I I I don't. I don't know. Just I, I feel. I feel. Like, I feel like, like 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 that one definitely is plausible. But I feel like the first, like the first one, the last one were definitely. Uh, I don't know. Founded in reality for you. Yeah. Okay. So CC, you're sticking with the third one. Yeah, I'm gonna stick with the third one. All right. I'm gonna go ahead and lock you guys in. Are you guys ready? Yeah. Yep. All right. As always, we start with a little bit of background information. I looked in to try to find a good outline of a reference for the entire legend of the Philadelphia Experiment. Here's how it goes. Project Rainbow. The date is disputed, but the year is not. It is 1943. The destroyer escort class USS Eldridge would carry out a highly classified mission in the Philadelphia Naval Shipyard. It was said many witnesses saw the ship develop a green fog engulfing the ship before it disappeared entirely. It would, for a short period, reappear in Norfolk, Virginia, before pulling the same disappearing back and reappearing in Philadelphia the very same day. However, the crew would suffer grievously. Some went crazy and others developed mysterious illnesses, and however grotesquely, five men would be fused to the ship. Their flesh ends and the metal begins at the same point. Reporters would link Einstein and ideal theory to um, to uh, being close to solving its secrets of what happened that day. Oh, that is a horrible mental image. Oh, yeah. There are other stories linking to this legend about a bar fight that happened several years afterwards where several sailors were seen to get into the bar 
start a confrontation, get into a fight, and then all the all the stolen mysteriously just vanished, as if slipping through time and reality. That was probably a bunch of drunkards saying that, though. So. <laughs> oh, that is probably one of the most tame things you'll hear about this story today. Oh yikes! What have you got in for us? <laughs> it's a fun one. Like I said, it's a short one, but it's a fun one. So that is, you know, there's a bunch of other stories I could include, but we would be here all day because so many people would come out and add to this story as time would go on that it kind of took on a life of its own. And then people misinterpret and reinterpret things online all the time. So even original sources often contradict what people believe nowadays. Um, but yeah, I guess at a certain point you'd expect it to become a legend. Oh yeah, but I decided uh, to look into where you know it was first mentioned. You know, the common, the most commonly accepted source is uh, a man named Morris K. Jessup. He was an author and astronomer. Uh, Morris would receive uh, letters from the from an anonymous sender who would go by the name of uh, Carlos M. Uh, Allende. He said that he witnessed the event and gave descriptions about the event. He had recently published a book called The Case for the UFO, which would be later connected to the author of the letters. That'll be the book that comes up later. Uh, he, would call, he would call himself uh, Carlos Miguel Allende, but in, but in another correspondence letter, he identified himself as Carl M. Allen. Jessup would call Allen a crackpot after his accounts uh, claiming the ship went invisible, teleported to New York, jumped dimensions, encountering aliens, and time traveled before returning, which resulted in several sailors' death, claiming some had been fused to the ship. Yeah. That sounds like somebody who is not mentally stable. Now keep in mind, he sent about 50 letters. 50 letters Jesus he sent Christ. to the Oh yeah. That guy had a lot of free time. Yes. Now, see, Morris, he, you know, was pretty well-educated. He was a skeptic, but he did like to push for the idea of alien existing. He did like that idea. However, he immediately denounced Car uh, Carl whenever these letters were coming out, but other people started taking notice as time went on, and it just did not play in his favor. Um, as you, as the uh, above witness, uh, witnessed the event, the Office of Naval Research would reach out to Jessup in the early part of 1957. They had received a parcel that had Happy Easter written on the front of the envelope. Inside was a copy of Jessup's book, The Case for the UFO, which had a massive amount of, write of written annotations. They were written in three shades of pink and appeared to be a detailed correspondence between three people with only one of them being given a name of Jemmy, J-E-M-I. Now, people believe that one of these, which uh, supposedly Jemmy, was an alien, or at least that was what the attempt was to be made. Um, O&R would go to label the other two as Mr. A and Mr. B. O&R would also later determine that the majority of the annotations at least were written by Carl Allen. You know, and with the subject matter that he was talking about, and with the handwriting, you know, and analyzation, they were pretty confident that the majority of it was definitely written by him. 
and could safely assume that the whole thing was. You know. However, despite knowing all this, ONR actually later published 127 copies of this book that they funded through the Texas-based Barrow Manufacturing Company. This may have partially added to the growing downfall uh, of Jessup when he would fail to publish any more books and then be dropped by his publisher. His wife would soon divorce him in 1958 and he committed suicide in Florida April 30th, 1959. Jesus Christ, the poor guy. Yeah. It is not a happy tale for Jessa. Things went downhill very quickly. Oh yeah, it, it just it, it's a tragedy. You know, a lot of people attribute Carl Allen's actions and, and, and claims as to be the massive reason for this, thinking that he ruined this man's life. Oh yeah. Just sounds like it was more of a series of unfortunate events that just got to the guy. I mean, it, it does seem like that, but at the same time, like it all started with the book and the letters you know because his first book the case of the ufo when it was published it it was received moderately well you know it wasn't widespread you know it wasn't a bestseller but he received some money from it and then he got the letters and then that's what ruined it for him i don't know that's just my opinion on it hmm it sounds like the letters either got to him or he, or he just like went, nah, screw this. And I was like, well, you're wrong. So either way, it, it definitely got to him at the end of the day. Yeah, it did. But I got a little interested with Carl Allen. So I decided to look into him to see how he fits in on this other side of the coin. You know, like I said, he was considered the originator of the of the legend. He would send over 50 letters to Jessup and would give his account um, which was in one letter he sent try to squash rumors about people claiming that he was a fraud by saying you know Einstein's unified field theory had been proven because he witnessed it in the USS Eldridge disappear and that was proof enough this is whenever he would go and to give his accounts you know of what happened many suspect Carl's uh, letters like just suicide um, and he would go and back and uh, back and forth, confirming and denying over the years whether he um, actually believed in it or just saying he was messing with the media and stuff like that. You know, to anyone who believes in government cover-ups to that extent and everything, this is like fuel to the fire. You know, of course, mm. got to be quiet. Of course, you got to deny it. He's got to stay safe. He's got to lie to everyone if he wants to live. You know, he knows too much, kind of do. You know, which, I mean, I get the logic, but it doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, it, it makes very little sense. Yeah, but, you know... We do understand, I think it's two people who both were perhaps mentally sound. I don't know. I don't know, because he would go... Because here, here's the problem. Even if Einstein's unified th field theory was proven, it wouldn't go on to explain anything that happened that he claimed happened like it doesn't mm. yeah that's the problem it doesn't prove that it is just more saying if this means this and therefore this has to mean this but it's it's a non sequitur they don't correlate exactly 
But uh, looking into him, only one thing that he did claim was actually true that panned out. That he did actually serve as a seaman, um, Carl M. Uh, Carl Meredith Allen. You know, um, he would go on his entire life, you know, still claiming this that this happened, and that this proved Einstein's field theory. That he talked to Einstein and made even more outlandish claims until he died in 1994. Um, and it, it just—it's it, crazy to me, you know. I just there, there there's a lot more to the story of course you know but again much like you know all the additions to the story as the legend grows this was just too much to get into you know on, on its own um especially mm. yeah yeah it's just it's crazy because there, there was like 20 something people that i read upon that added to this you know they can like or really just try to stick with the big ones you know but uh this is the biggest one of them all a man by the name of al bilet he he uh he amazed me um sorry i'm just trying to mentally prepare for what i'm about to read because it's just a mm-hmm. crazy um to start in 1984 there was a movie made um that they made about the experiments uh, it was called the Philadelphia Experiments, and it was about two sailors who were aboard the ship whenever it was going off. And the two sailors would jump into the water, and when they got out of it, they popped up in America in 1984. And they would go around trying to understand where where they were at because they were in the middle of the desert in Nevada for some reason, and they were trying to understand what happened to them. One of them gets uh, taken by the police and sent to a hospital to be treated. Uh, Another one steals a car with a lady in it. Uh, They find one of the sailor's wives who is now a senior citizen at this point. It's a a crazy story. Um, I did not watch the movie. After reading the synopsis, I just, I couldn't. But this movie would apparently go on to awaken something, a a repressed memory in Al Bilet in uh, 1990 or 1989 something like that one of those two years um he would claim that he would sit down and watch it and would uh, remember something from a long time ago about his experience with the experiments he would claim that the true goal of the navy wasn't invisibility but time travel now al was born in 1927 and he would serve as a lowly naval officer in 1943 that's a little weird because that would make him 16, which doesn't make sense. So already we're kind of... He'd be too young. Exactly. We're, well, it's not to say that people didn't lie to get in. Many people did lie to get in. Hmm. So I, it's not that it's impossible, but to be a naval officer in 1943 doesn't add up. That part, just no. But he probably served a little bit later and his accounts were just wrong but yeah that's what I found online a lot um, of course he joined you know during the war effort after feeling compelled to stop Nazis um, so that's why he joined the Navy with his brother uh, he claimed that on August 13th um, 1943 Bilek and his brother were subject to the ship's experiments when they would want to try 
to jump uh, jump ship to get to safety whenever they felt uncomfortable with the ship uh, undergoing the experiment. Um, but when they jumped into the water to try to swim to the sh- uh, to shore, they found themselves not in water but in what seemed like clouds. And when they swam and hit land, um, he claims that they found themselves in the year 2100. Violet claims when he was treated for his radiation burns in a hospital that healed him using only light and vibration, he would look around to see a world um, that was just completely unlike anything you would understand today. I mean, for starters, there enter- there was no entertainment necessarily. The only thing on TV was the news and any educational program. You know, no cartoons, no dramas, no soap operas, nothing. No movies, just education. And detail that, that. So I wanted to include that one. Um, but he also claimed that, you know, the coastlines of every continent had completely changed. For example, Florida had been completely submerged except for the panhandle. Atlanta was now beachfront property being only three miles away from the coastline. And the Great Lakes became the Great Lake. <laughs> Just one big lake. And the uh, Mississippi River pretty much cut America in half almost as it expanded to be several miles across. Uh, where was I? This this guy sounds like he was either on something or lying because he wanted the attention. Uh, I don't know. Dude's just crazy. Just really, really crazy. Uh, but his account is what people go to the most whenever they look for authenticity. Which baffles me because the science behind repressed memories has proven to be, you know, just a lot of hooey. But yeah, this is what a lot of people believe. And it amazes me. Um, but it doesn't end there. Uh, there was no central government for the USA. Uh, USA and Canada were gone. In its place was a locally enforced martial law system that kept people in check. This was supposedly the result of the USA and Europe banding together to stop China and Russia. In 2005, I want to add. That's when he said this happened. In 2005. <laughs> Sorry. Bloody hell. <laughs> I mean, think about it. With the EU and the USA really ramping up, and with the USA really trying to be the aggressor with China right now, Russia, of course, is always backing parties uh, with the communist backing. So, I mean, how will the history books look at things in a hundred years? I don't know. I'm just saying. Maybe. Uh, he claims that this killed the global population at the end of it and dwindled us down to 300 million people. Not billion, but million people. Jesus. Yeah, we're at what? 7 billion now? Mm Mm-hmm. 7 and almost 8 billion. Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And this global conflict, you know, basically wiped out any form of world government. He claims he was then sent to the year 2749, where he lived for two years. Tech had supposedly advanced to the point humans made mobile floating cities. Government of any kind was non-existent, and everything was ruled by an AI called Synthetic Intelligence Computer Systems. 
He claimed in uh, 2749, there were no wars, no armies, and no conflicts that mattered. After this two years, he was sent back to 2149, where he picked up his brother. And everything um, after that was just, it was just crazy. You know, his explaining how he got back, that he could just kind of travel back whenever he chose to. Because he claims that um, everything was run under socialist values, therefore no one had any money for currency. Um, and he chose to stay there for two years. Two years living with these people. You know, um, but he felt compelled to come pick up his brother after talking to everyone he set up in 2749. So then he went back to 2137 to go pick up his brother. To go back in time, he said, to 1984 the year the movie was made keep in mind to go talk to a Dr. John Von Neumann who had convinced them to go back to 1943 to stop the experiment from ever happening after Bilek left the Navy he became an electronic specialist and some and some military contractors took notice they would recruit him and reveal that they were adapting alien tech and forwarding research into psychic operations where he then claimed to be recruited by the Montauk Project, which might be its own episode in the future, but if rumors are believed, it deals with time travel, monsters, and kidnapping little boys. It, it sounds like this guy was on a cocktail of things, to put it politely. Just a bit. But, again, there were all kinds of different stories. There's even a claim of another ship that was used in an experiment like this. There were claims that changed the color of the fog from green to blue. There were other people's personal time travel accounts, you know, that took them to different years, different planets, even dimensions, talking to aliens. I mean, it's... Oh, God, it's so much. It's so much crazy, and I love it, and I hate it, because I'm like, I live in a world full of these crazy people, but it makes it fun. It makes things interesting, I have to admit. It does, it does. But, like I said, this kind of story doesn't start from nowhere. There was a real-life Project Rainbow. There was a real-life Philadelphia experiment. But, of course, it had nothing to do with this. Of course not. It dealt, you know, with a degaussing technique, which sounds magical, but basically it's reverse magnetism. Because a big problem that happened with naval ships at the time was uh, sea mines that were that would use magnetisms to let themselves get attracted to uh, ships and submarines that would pass by, and they would detonate upon impact once they uh, touched the ships. When that happens, you know, of course, you lose the ship. And so you run into a problem that ships run into a, an invisible barrier they can't cross because it's a minefield. So the U.S. Navy at the time got a lot of people, and, and uh, this was actually during the time when the British were loaning uh, technology and uh, lending help, uh, helping hands with scientists, which would later on go help with the Manhattan Project that we covered. Um, this group of scientists would experiment with, you know, anti-magnetism properties and try to make ships, you know, not non-magnetic. That way these sea mines would not be attracted to the ships and therefore be passed freely. 
as if they were invisible to the landmines. Now, when this, you know, actual comment was made, it is believed that that got misinterpreted and the story evolved from there. But yeah, that, that's the, 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 the short, some sweet point of it. Uh, the actual history behind how all of this happened and the things that led up to to it is actually really fascinating learning about the magnetron and british scientists at the time when they were ahead of the americans you know and all the technology that they were developing in world war ii um and the exchange between them the lengths that they would go to preserve the nuclear secrets of the time you know uh everything that they that the british was giving over to the americans all the physical examples uh they were actually held in a wooden box that had holes drilled in the so that way in case something ever happened to the ship that it was on it would guarantee that it would sink to the bottom of the ocean where nobody could get it i mean the length they went to was absurd and crazy i mean i guess if you're paranoid then you might as well be paranoid right <laughs> ward ward two you have a lot to be worried about especially with nazis mm. Yeah, but that I guess that, if you do want to stop Nazis from uh, doing horrible stuff, one way is to say fuck it, destroy everything. Right. But yeah, that was the uh, that was the Philadelphia experiment. Short, fun little story that I could have spent all day on if I really wanted to, just talking about this. But um, it would just be going down more nonsense and rabbit holes and non sequiturs. You know, it just. A lot of things didn't make sense. Everyone's personal accounts of what when it happened never lined up with each other, thus giving disputed dates. Um, it feels like it was a game of Chinese telephone from one person to the next to the next as the stories evolved. Just, just babble. But uh, I think everyone wanted something more mystical. Yeah, everyone wants that little fantasy in life, but it's it's uh, it's not going to happen with this one. Hmm. You know, but uh, congratulations! You got the answer right. I definitely lied about one of the most, you know, believable mundane things that I could have. They did not use a glow paint, which uh, they did. The U.S. Navy did experiment with camouflages, uh, alternating with light and dark patterns, but it wasn't to the extent of making things glow. Unfortunately, though, I thought that would have been pretty cool. I did actually look into that to see if that might be a thing. And that would be cool. Clothing things are always cool. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I hope everyone enjoyed this episode. I know it was a bit shorter than the rest. Um, we just have a lot of things going on in the background and a lot of things planned for the upcoming month. So we are trying to handle a lot of personal business as well with all this going on. But do not worry. We do have other episodes coming up that we have planned. Uh, we are trying to get ahead and prepare for something a little more special in October. But until then, we don't want to say too much as plans are always subject to change. Um, but uh, we hope to see you guys next week. I think that's about it for this episode, unless anybody has anything else to add. I think we're good. No. no, no, no. I'm good. I'm, I'm good, yeah. All right. Well, hope you guys had fun. Can't wait to see you guys next week. You guys have a good one. Bye. Bye. Peace out. Bye, guys.